Hello and welcome to World of Oil Derivatives, where we break down the latest news and analysis impacting the oil swaps market. I'm Greg Newman, the CEO of Onyx Capital Group, and my guest today is Mike McClone, Senior Commodity Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. A quick reminder before we get started, this podcast is available on YouTube if you prefer to watch it there. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you, Greg. Yeah, you too. Uh, I think we just have to dive right into the Russia-Ukraine crisis, right? That's front and center in oil. What's your, what's your take on the reaction from the oil market so far? Well, it's, it reminds me a lot of the uh, Gulf War, the first one. Um, I was in the trading pits back then in Chicago, and it, once the hostilities get started, it seems like market's already priced in a decent amount of it. And the question is, is this going to be just a takeover, or is there going to be violent tanks and things overrunning uh, Ukraine. It's just not a, it's not an if anymore. It's just a when we all kind of get that the oil market picked that up real early in the year. And I was impressed. I missed that early on. I took me it was just about a couple of weeks ago. I finally figured out, okay, oil's pricing in for some a major disruption in the global commodity flow. So right now I think we're at the stage that it's, it's, it's a matter of um, when, how it's being done, done, how Mr. Putin decides to, take over the Ukraine and install his, his puppet government, which seems to be the plan, and how much it means for crude oil. And I see it right now, and the big picture is, yeah, crude oil can go to very high prices, but to me, it's part of the spike that's very similar that happened in 2008. WTI peaked around 145, and then the market headed towards a recession and dropped to around 30 within a year. I fully expect that, because I see the whole world heading towards recession, and this crude oil situation is it's accelerating and it's probably the best solution for what's been happening with inflation and everything is a little bit of a recession so to me that's what's going on and if you know we're in the fog of war if you could help explain it to me <laughs> i'd appreciate it but i see what we're at the stage now the market's really priced ahead for a pretty significant disruption of of crude oil and energy flows and most notably agriculture grains mm. out of ukraine and now it's getting to the stage that, well, you know, planting season starts in a few months um, and we'll see how it goes. But it seems to me if we do have a nonviolent just a takeover, um, this is a new world order. It's good overall for commodities, but I think it's going to lead to um, just that, that rule we all know in commodities is that higher price cure. Will, um, I'll, I'll leave you with this. To me, being from the Corn Belt of the Midwest, um, this is an absolute boom for North American commodity producers. Well, I was excited to get you on because a lot of what you do and talk about is, is geared towards financial markets and the overall impact together. And it's interesting what you started off with, that the kind of a concept of something being priced in, like the Gulf War. Uh, certainly, you know, on this kind of sub-market of oil, oil swaps, there's actually been quite a lot of selling uh, on the back of this. And it reminded me, you know, I'm a bit younger, but it remind, I don't remember the Gulf War, but I remember the, with Brexit, um, with the dollar sterling rate, you know, everyone was short that and it was going lower and lower and lower. And every time Brexit news came out about something negative, it would go lower. But then when the actual Brexit or hard type Brexit was announced, it went up. And I think it was quite logical for traders that finally what's the fear of what's happened has happened. So now you can kind of put it to bed and you can move on. And it does seem that way. I mean, the markets were positioned on a speculative basis. Yes, probably including the escalation in Russia, Ukraine, but now it's happened and the invasion started kind of go, okay, well now what? Because it's not really impacting oil yet. And actually we've seen kind of the opposite 
there's been some interesting moves in the um, underlying oil swaps market where like the euros price, for instance, the forward curve is getting obliterated. You know, it's really, really low prices all of a sudden. So that either says that people want to avoid Russian oil or that they're starting to flood it into the markets in the next few months, which both kind of make sense. So uh, where we go from here, it's more about how, for the outright price at least, how the financial market perceives it. So there's a lot of things going on from what you were saying, but okay, so, we, so now we can kind of say Russia-Ukraine has happened. So effectively say that's at least priced into people's thoughts. Now you're saying US production as well, but also inflation, also general risk appetite in the macro markets. Do you see the financial, do you see the pressure on oil from financial markets going forward? Is that what you were generally saying? Yeah, exactly. I, I like how you started out, Greg, where um, um, I, try to, I try to act like I know something by saying I was there. Well, I was, but it doesn't mean I know more than you. <laughs> Sometimes you know how markets are. And it's one yeah. thing I love about your program. It's derivatives. I mean, I'm from derivatives. I'm from futures. And so I'll, I'll focus. Let's get on the macro and then go down to the micro. The macro yeah. picture is um, we have the highest correlation between commodities, most notably crude oil, and the U.S. equity market ever. So I look at 60 months, you know, your typical fifth, five-year correlation to the U.S. equity market. And that's starting to break down this year for one key reason. People say it's supply and demand. Like, yeah, it's just bouncing back. It's what's happening with the world's, one of the world's largest crude oil exporters taking over one of the largest grain exports. Okay, that's all that matters. So then I have some of my colleagues focusing on things that's happening in futures. I'm saying, sorry, guys, but that's dropped to a five and a one to 10 scale. This is the only thing that matters right now. And we have a situation with the U.S. facing before the, you know, when the year started, all the thing that mattered was it was don't fight the Fed. And that means the Fed's tightening. Uh, risk assets are the highest in history of mankind. Risk assets must go down or the Fed will tighten more. Inflation will go lower. Now we have this war situation. So I think what we're happening seeing right now is the beginning of the great reversion. And, okay, so people are bullish crude oil. I'm like, and then, okay, let's look over at natural gas. Natural gas is still about a, what fraction of the high from um, 2005. That's U.S. natural gas. Now, I understand Europe's different, but that's for different reasons. You look at U.S. crude oil. The high was 145. We're at 90 for a reason. If we adjust that to PPI, we should be at $200 a, a barrel. And that's just what's happening macro is there's, we're creating more of it. We use less of it. And it's being replaced by technology. Now, people do, don't do, mind, do you mind? Sorry, do you mind just explain the PPI concept? I did see you you've yeah. talked about that before. Could you just explain that a little yeah. bit? So, if you just the PPI, the U.S. producer price index is up about thirty-five percent from um, July two thousand and eight. That's when crude oil peaked. I remember that's, that's was, the value of the stock company, the the equity. Uh, no, no, pr okay. um, pr producer price index. That, okay, this, that's, just the, that's just the U.S. measure of producer prices. Now, people really push back on these levels. And I right. like say, well, there's, well, look at the energy. I mean, crude oil is well, it's what, 40% below its peak, mm. yet PPI is up 35%. So mm. let's focus on what's been happening in the world. What's happening since that peak? The U.S. Mm. was the world's largest importer of crude oil. Now the, world, mm. the U.S. and Canada are net exporter, potentially 15% surplus this year. And I say liquid fuels because I'm from a farm background, and there's a lot of ethanol that's you know, 12% of unleaded gasoline. Now, that wasn't the case in 2008. So things have changed so much. Mm. Now who's the world's largest importer of crude oil? China. And now who's having a property crisis just like the U.S. had in mm. 2008? China. Mm. And who's now who's this cozied up? They're cozying up with Russia. So it's the old world versus the, the new world. U.S. and Europe are much more new world. And that's the old world. That, you know, this, what is Russia? Basically the gas station for the world. So in the macro, the way I see it is this is the beginning of the fog of war that 
puts in a pretty significant spike in inflation, in risk assets, in crude oil, and stock market that leads to the major significant reversion lower. It's way overdue. So let's say we get a minor 20% correction in the US stock market. That's way overdue. What does that do for everything, for the Fed, for crude oil? That to me is what we should expect this year. Because mm. once this situation in Russia, Ukraine is somewhat, okay, maybe it's not gonna be a violent takeover, hopefully not. Once we get kind of past that, hey, Mr. Putin said he wants to take over Ukraine, it's a done deal, deal with it. What happens? We're back to this situation where at risk assets too high, inflation too high, the Fed's tightening, risk assets have to decline. So to me, that's what we're going to be looking forward to and we're that fog situation right now. So bringing it down to the micro, into derivatives, I love this situation when you look at backwardation. You mentioned it earlier. I use typically at one-year curves. I, I would implore people, unless you're a day trader, ignore anything other than the one-year curve because there's seasonality. One-year curve, March natural gas is the same as March natural gas a year from now. There's no seasonality. So right now, I look at WTI, it's about 15% in backwardation. That's measured from the uh, front contract to the back. That's about as most extreme as it ever gets. And I mean, there was a few cases in 2006 that got more extreme. But typically, backwardation means, we all know that means there's you know, tight supplies in the short term, but it's a, it's a significant sell signal for the entire market. Now, the reason we're, you know, we have a good reason to be up, but once we get, like I said, past this fog of war, Market's going to look over to its side and look at U.S. shale and say, hey, U.S. shale cost of production has been declining. We're actually in U.S. shale production is about half the cost um, of the, the price on the screen at the moment. What does that mean? for? Unless you expect supply demand that doesn't matter anymore, the elasticity, that supply is going to come back. So all my indicators show that we're going to have a massive surplus just because of profits. I mean, simple economics. Uh, and, and demand, in, in the, I, I focus on North America because that's been leading, actually peaked a few years ago. It's been heading lower. I mean, just I'll end with this. We've gone macro, we've gone micro. There's one significant macro thing. First, it's the micro. Supply demand elasticity teaches us there will always, markets will always supply, find supply at higher prices. Remember, I, I, I come from a barn background. I remember learning that right away. <laughs> well, we're yeah. going to grow corn in that, in that back 40 um, when we find prices are high enough that 40 acres. But the key thing is that um, this uh, supply demand elasticity should kick in any moment. And US and Canada have been the main forces driving prices lower in the last 10 years. Mm. And that's going to start accelerating. And again, we have to wrap rope in the good potential of a recession this year, most notably in the US. And the good potential, we finally get that 20% correction in stock market. And then it, then it, go, it doesn't go up right away, meaning this is the beginning of the long slog, I think. And the we're going to look- the, the CEOs of, of these shell, shell oil businesses, yeah. in particular the private ones, they, it's not like they're not aware, aware of this, right? Especially the financing banks, they're giving them the research saying oil's going to go higher, addressing this spike. I don't think they're on it under any illusions that they ramp up their oil production at some point that's going to hit the market and have an impact. So what we're seeing, well, what I'm reading day in, day out is no, we're, we've, we've got discipline. We're not producing high amounts, but, <laughs> right. but it's a bit of a, it's not true basically, right? That's what you're saying. I mean, if the, the principle is higher prices, you're going to, you're going to produce as much as possible. And you think the, yeah. Exactly. Less in commodities, most notably dealing with China. Ignore what they say, watch what they do. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just when I've heard that in my short career, 
in commodities since the 80s is anytime I hear things, people that push against the, the macroeconomic forces of mm. supply and demand, I always say, good luck with that one. What they say is I, sh- I, I see that just the estimates, I can see the supply coming back. Yes, there's a good reason to shut back, shut off supply when prices went negative in 2020. I get that. And we had this major mm. global short-term recession. Now it's the mm. opposite. And then the difference, Greg, is what's happening is if you want to, people talk about CapEx, the most significant paradigm shift in the planet is, the, is global automatic, automotive manufacturers retooling for EVs. That's short term, but I bought an EV. I, I, I bought one in 2014. It's the best car I ever had. I just drove it from New York to Miami. No problem. No, it's a, it's a plug-in hybrid, a Chevy Volt, but I guarantee you the world's going there real fast. So let's look at the U.S. again. The most Texans sig- are screaming at you now, surely. Yeah, let them, let them scream. But once you drive an EV, man, it's so cool. It's the best yeah, car. Right. Good I mean, acceleration, I, I, yeah. It, I used to love to run through the gears and whip around the mm. turns and mm. hear the, you know, the four-banger in my little Fiat but, or whatever, your big old V8 in Texas. But it's just a matter of fact. And that's, okay, that's macro. The micro mm. right now is all the war. And that's why I think I published today what's happening in Russia is Russia is accelerating its road to redundancy with rig counts bunch of R's in there because rig counts in the U.S. I love when people point out how oh, rig counts are picking up. If you really do the, the math and do the correlations, they're insignificant. Rig counts right now in the U.S. are about the same as they were in 2010, yet total liquid fuel production in the U.S. has doubled from 10 million barrels a day to 20 million barrels a day. I say liquid fuels because that includes uh, biofuel. Rig counts just don't matter anymore because of the hydraulic fracking and horizontal drilling. When you can drill one drill and go out a dozen ways for miles and find oil. It's just a different world. And that's really one thing that struck me. I read this book called The Domino Effect about four years ago and pointed out how this technology is overwhelming. And don't underestimate when prices get high enough what profits will do for supply. So to me, that's a macro. We've got the war. But I think what Russia is doing right now is accelerating its road to redundancy. And Europe got a good lesson of the value of fossil fuels last year. But do you think that's yeah. going to happen again? It's not going to happen again. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be no, so over. It's just the way life is. Well, People even put, the UK, we're not finding the restrictions yeah. to invest in oil and gas going forward. It was a big thing last year. Go. But as you say, they've learned the lesson. No, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think BlackRock yeah. even was saying, yeah. no, we're investing in oil and gas because it's part of the solution. And that's okay to say now all of a sudden because of all the high prices. So I couldn't agree yeah. more on that. But I still can't move away from the fact that I, yeah. it's not like OPEC and Putin. And it's not like they don't read and have all this intelligence and know exactly what we know. So this acceleration to redundancy through rig counts, they have to know that. So I, I, I'm curious as to why OPEC are playing this game too far, which is, you know, not producing enough oil. It's the blaming the spare capacity argument, which I don't believe. And then Russia going along with it. Everyone's happy because the price keeps rising, but you're, they're overplaying their hand now. So they must, yeah. under, they must, they must just be thinking, we know oil is going to wiggy low, so let's just cream it for as long as we can, create the tension high. I mean, it's got to be some kind of thought like that. So when, when do we know? When do we start to see the signals that we do genuinely get a retracement? Is it linked to all the risk assets, like you say? Is it like a Bitcoin sell-off, everyone yeah. rushing out of that, that kind of thing, out of equities? What do you think? Well, I'm glad you mentioned Bitcoin because it's been one of the best leading indicators for risk off. And for instance, this week, it started dropping. It, it closed. Uh, we'll just go. We'll go there real quick. We ended and then I'll go back to what you said earlier. So Bitcoin has been great for that. I like the way to look at cryptos is risk assets are, are fighting the Fed. The Fed's tightening and all risk assets need to go down because inflation. The mm. riskiest assets are cryptos. 
but the least risky crypto is Bitcoin. So Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think, are different. Then there's 17,000 of them. But for instance, this week, Bitcoin closed last Friday at 40,000. It opened up Monday, Tuesday in the U.S. because we had a holiday at 37,000. So it was down like six, seven percent. And um, my colleagues would say, oh, Bitcoin was up because it was on Tuesday. I'm like, no, <laughs> you had to measure Friday to Tuesday. And so it's still at, on the screens, we see 39,000. So, but it's been a good indicator for, I, but I think what's happening is the whole world knows you got to have some of this Bitcoin in your portfolio because the world's going digital. This is yeah. the world's premier benchmark global digital asset. It's, mm. it's, and it's, it's very low allocated to almost all portfolios. And then you look at over the other side, versus the whole planet, most notably in the U.S., is way overweight, overweight equities. Why? Because they never go down. Why? Because the Fed's there. Fed's gone. Market's mm. the most expensive in history versus the rest of the world versus GDP. And to me, that's what's transitioning this year. And I think by the end of the year, we're going to see, okay, we'll get that 20, maybe 30% correction in the U.S. stock market. It's way mm. overdue. The Fed will be lucky if they continue tightening. Everything drops. Crude oil probably drops back to 50. I like how people say that's a problem, but it always goes back to the cost of production in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin comes out ahead. That's the macro picture. And, and um, to me, that's what I'm looking for this year. And, and Russia, Ukraine just probably made crude oil more redundant because of what happened in Europe. A good example is Texas. Had that major freeze 2020. There's a getter done. Um, and, you know, they, didn't, they weren't properly insulated in natural gas pipes. And remember, I'm from Chicago. I get free. Did that happen this year? What did the freeze? No, we had a pretty significant cold spell in Texas, but no problem because mm. we're not dumb or humans get that. But the key thing I want to end with is what you said about um, it's amazing how we had so much spare capacity in OPEC that was being disciplined. They wasn't as disciplined before COVID when prices were, uh, you know, 50, $60 a barrel. Now there were 90, almost hundred dollars a barrel. That spare capacity disappeared. It just, that'll come. It's just, it's just amazing how human nature will never change. And, Mark, commodities will always find supply when prices are high. And that's the thing I find out about Mr. Putin. It was Saddam, he's got very, his, his speech was very similar to Saddam Hussein before, he, mm. you know, when he over, he justifying with history and everything. Yeah. And what's happened with OPEC, the key thing I point about is OPEC is, um, just look at their meetings. Do you ever see one female there? My colleague Anne-Marie Horton was there. And it's just one of those lessons of history. When there's, when you lack diversity and tolerance, there's, you have that group think. And it's very scary. But what's happening with Russia to me is, yeah, hopefully it doesn't get seriously nuclear and unfortunate, but Russia and China are in the midst of showing their, their inability to cope with the new world. And by China pushing back and banning Bitcoin and cryptos, it shows their, inability, their system's inability to cope with free market capitalism. Same with Russia. What do they have? Virtually no economy. The size economy is less than the UK. It's about the same size of Texas, but they have energy and nuclear weapons. So, okay, he's, 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 he's looking at himself from a historical standpoint. How are the Russians going to look at me in terms of history? Oh, I reunited the old, uh, the old Russia to include Ukraine. And the question is how he does it. If he does it violently, it's just going to be like any violent overtake. And they're never going to accept, um, I think, the, the old, the old, the old, this the northern Russians coming back. Yes. But yeah, but you, I was going to say, so do you think the West yeah. can get back control essentially of this situation with the oil price going lower and with the risk off move, does that, does that yeah. put, that's the fear, right? That we're losing control yeah. of everything. Well, let's give ourselves five, 10 years, five, 10 years, EVs will completely um, proliferate. It's happening yeah. already here. I mean, 20% of sales last year were EVs in China. Why? Partly because they can't breathe. I've been there. You've probably been there. It's just it's what the air, the air, air sucks. 
And um, in this country, the most widely, um, the, the, the top selling vehicle is the Ford F-150 pickup truck. Ford can make, not make enough EVs. If you give people a little incentive to do an EV because gas prices are higher, and all they have to do is plug in at home, and mm. most of the most electricity in this country is from natural gas, which is damn cheap. <laughs> it's, just gonna, it's just a matter of Well, the question I have, though, on that is, is like, you might have some good insight into this. Like yeah. The domestic U.S., I guess just general industry, so much of oil and gas is linked to jobs. And it's, is yeah. that not something that is obviously boom times, like you're saying again, but then I've, I've read a few times, like, this time we don't want to screw it up type thing, you know, and they're trying to be cautious because it's the, a complete oil retracement would be send us back to what we've had to do, like cut, you know, cut jobs, cut production, and no one wants to see that happen again. So what is the feeling this time that it is a repeat or, yeah, I mean, can, can, can they get out of this alive essentially and, and sustainably, or what do you think? Well, I wrote a piece a little while ago. This is, we're in the midst of the great North American commodity boom. Europe's got a problem. This is going to hurt. The, obviously, what's going on in Europe, we know that. Very dependent on energy from Russia. The U.S. is the, the largest producer and exporter of agricultural products on the planet. And North America is now a net massive exporter of energy. Let's include LNG. Who's the largest exporter of LNG on the planet now? It's the U.S. We've surpassed mm. Qatar. And how did the U.S. do that? There's so much restrictions, just fewer restrictions in the rest of the world. It's just advancing technology. We've been able to harness. There's an ocean of natural gas underneath Pennsylvania. It's underneath New York, too. New York just hasn't opened it up yet. So to me, that's what's happening. That's where there's going to be a great separation. This is obviously I'm biased. So let's look at the facts. This is a major boom for the U.S. Where are you going to go for the dollar? The dollar's already gained dominance digitally. The most widely digital uh, crypto, cryptos that traded are crypto dollars. Stable coins, mm. they all track the dollar. So mm. there's one indication. This is bad for Europe, but the way I look at it, it's more short-term, long-term. It's going to rapidly accelerate the world's um, movement away from fossil fuels. Um, and hydrogen, I mean, absolutely, hydrogen. What better way to, to, to power an airplane than hydrogen? Hydrogen. I mean, concentration of energy in, in a small space that's not heavy and everything, it's hydrogen. And, you don't, and it's not as difficult in and toxic to transport. So to me, this is what's happening. And Russia just accelerated that process that was being done by subsidies. I mean, how many, I bought a car in the US. I have solar panels on my house that were subsidized. That's not going to happen anymore. It's just going to be cost effective mm. because in the meantime, we're going to have high commodity prices, which is great for the US. But what does that do? Massive supply comes back on, reacts, and it just shifts the world away from Russia in China, because China is majorly in decline right now. Some of us predict this for a while. Like I said, they, they're the world's most significant energy uh, importer. They need Russia um, or OPEC, and they're having a major energy crisis, which you all expect. And they don't have that open free market capitalism that tells them what to do and tells them how to actually allocate capital properly. And it's showing up. It's just not going to work. You know, Adam Smith predicted this years ago. Okay, so they took a billion people out of poverty. Now they have a declining population, and. Uh, um, you know, it's just, it's a new world. And to me, this war that Ukraine, that Russia started is accelerating the advent, uh, the harnessing of technology. What are cryptos? Just just a better, it's, it's harnessing, what is Bitcoin? It's just the digital ver version of collateral in a world going digital. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you to my guest, Mike McClone, for joining us. And thank you for watching. Join us next week for more and don't forget you can follow us on social media by searching Flux Liquidity Hub on Instagram and 
flux-live on LinkedIn. But for now, that's goodbye.